Today, we are continuing in our series uh, that, that is all about relationships. And we've been talking about relationships for the last nine weeks. And all of us are, have been in relationships before. We, we are children or parents. We are brothers, sisters, friends. Um, and we were created with the capacity, the desire, and the expectation that we would be in all different types of relationships throughout our lives. We'd be in relationship with other people, uh, with animals. I don't know if you guys know this. I have a dog. She has taken over my life. Um, We're meant to be in relationship with God. uh, And and knowing that we have uh, all of these different types of relationships, uh, we've been talking about relationships for the last nine weeks. Nine weeks. And so today I decided that I just wanted to talk about food, Um, which is why we have all of the, the... Big bread. You guys are used to seeing the crackers. I was like, I want food here today. So we got food. Um, We'll still be talking about relationships too a little bit, but food. Um, (laughs) Food is my safe place. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but if you buy me food or like bring me food, I will eat it and we will be best friends forever. Uh, It it doesn't even have to be good food. (laughs) Rihanna begs to differ. I love food. I will eat it. It doesn't even have to be that good. I'll I'll eat it. It's great. Um, And I think it has something to do with the fact that I was a wrestler in high school, and I starved myself for, like, every week to make weight, and it was the worst. And so I compensate by eating everything in sight now um, because I love food. Does anyone else like food here? Does anyone else love food? Oh, okay, sweet. I'm in good company. Do you know who else loved food? This is, the Jesus, this is like the Jesus Sunday School answer. You can say Jesus. Jesus, he loved food. Jesus and his disciples loved food. They, like, there's a Bible scholar, uh, Anderson Herbert, and he is known to, to say regularly that Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. Uh, he, like, think about it. The, usually, this is... Maybe this is an exaggeration, but that's the picture that I, whenever I see Jesus on the cross, that's what I imagine. It's like he's got this six-pack, and he's like huge. He's, we, we are told stories that Jesus is like a mason. He like moved bricks. Like that was his apprenticeship as a growing up. But then you go back and you read the Bible, and you see like every chapter, Jesus is like eating and feasting with sinners, <laughs> Like, that's the exact thing that got him killed by the Pharisees. They were like, you can't eat with sinners. And Jesus was like, I need to eat. And they got the good food. So, but, but Jesus had, uh, like, he feeds 5,000 men and their families. He feeds 4,000 men and their families. He eats at the houses of Pharisees. And then he eats at the house of Zacchaeus. And then even after he dies and is resurrected again, he eats two more times. Like, the dude just can't stop eating. Like, put down the bread. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I think it's funny. Um, And and so when I I started thinking about this, I started to feel a little bit better about myself. um, Because while Jesus, we're told he looks like this, I think he probably had the ancient equivalent to like a beer belly and some love handles. Like, I'm probably going to get some emails, but that's how I like to imagine Jesus now. Um, <laughs> because Jesus and his disciples loved to eat. They, they ate all the time. They built their ministry around food. 
And, and actually, the early Christians, this is one of the first things that we know about the early church. That the ancient world, the ancient Roman Empire, one of the little, bit of, the little bits of information that they had was that Christians ate together. Which I think is pretty obvious. I think it's actually weird that the Roman Empire decided that they wanted to know about their eating habits as like a point of intel for a potentially dissident group of people. But I guess eating is important. They thought so too. And so this is one of the main, uh, this is the, like one of the main reasons I'm actually a Christian today is because I just, I kept eating with Christians. Uh, when I was in high school, I can, I remember most of my significant conversations about Jesus, and it was either over coffee and a croissant, or tacos, chips, and guac. Like, every single conversation I had about Jesus, it was like, okay, do we meet at Starbucks, or do we go to La, uh, La Tiendita, which is like this little taco place right next to my house. It is delicious. Um, I'm getting hungry right now, guys. It's terrible. Uh, but food is also one of the most effective ministry tools that I found. When, when I first started working at Living Spring, Pastor John, I, I, was in the, I was in the office and Pastor John came in and he goes, hey, there's, like, there's some teenagers outside. Have you, have you ever met them before? They're playing basketball, skateboarding. And I'm like, no, I haven't. So I walk outside being the youth pastor, um, not being creepy. And I just, I, that's when I met Fernando and Jaime, Brandon, Nicole, Sammy and Marco, all for the first time. And they're skateboarding and playing basketball, all, both of which I'm terrible at. And so I, I realized I couldn't connect with them through basketball or skateboarding, because again, terrible. Um, but I could win their hearts with food. <laughs> I started inviting them to, to lunch or dinner every few weeks, and those meals were instrumental in opening up conversations and, and creating moments where we got to, to go deeper. And so eventually, the, this group of high school students and junior hires who used to flee, like they would flee so fast as soon as people started showing up for youth group. And we're like, hey, do you want to come to youth group? And they would already be gone. And, and this group of students all of a sudden became the core, like, the core group of students in our youth ministry. They became the advocates for their peers. Fernando graduated last year. He graduated high school. And he, uh, we brought him on staff as a summer intern with the youth ministry. And his, his primary job was running the kitchen, was to make sure that our students were learning how to cook meals for each other to share every single week for youth group. That was his job. We paid him for that. Now he works at, uh, at a restaurant and is making the big bucks. Using all the skills we taught him. Um, nah. He's already a good cook. He taught me things. Um, but clearly, food is important. Sharing meals is important. And I, I think it's more than just because we, we do it to survive. We need food. I think sharing meals is actually one of the most significant things we can do. So this morning, uh, I want to hone in on one meal in particular that Jesus has uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so if you do have your Bibles, go ahead and turn or click to, math, uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 26, verse 20. Um, and this meal we're going to talk about today is commonly, commonly referred to as Last Supper. 
And what Jesus and his disciples were doing was celebrating the Passover, which is when the Jewish people would remember how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And we, we don't know the exact timeline for when all this happened, but most, most scholars believe that, uh, that the Jews had been celebrating this ritual meal for about 1,500 years by the time Jesus does it in the book of Matthew. This means that they shared, they shared this meal every year for 1,500 years. That, and this meal represents their freedom. Of course they're going to celebrate freedom from slavery. Of course they're going to remember how God delivered them out of slavery. And, and this is perhaps one of the most important holidays in the entire uh, Jewish calendar. It's like 4th of July or Cinco de Mayo or Juneteenth. Like these are, are days that we, we celebrate freedom, independence. And so, of course, like any of those holidays, we celebrate the Passover with food. And so we're going to go ahead and read. I mislabeled this, so I'm really sorry. Um, it says 1 Corinthians. It's actually the book of Matthew. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> But when it was evening, Jesus took his place with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, they began to say to him, one after another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one to not have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He said, You have said it so. Have you ever eaten with someone that you would consider an enemy or a traitor or your potential downfall? Um, this is one of the, those incredible things about Jesus that I, I fall in love with every single time I, I read this passage. I don't think that this pur the purpose of this meal was to cast shade at the, at the disciple who was going to betray him. I think that, I, I don't think that because all of his disciples betrayed him. Like, he, yes, there's a curse in here, but when we look back at the gospel and we, we remember, the reality is that all of Jesus' disciples betrayed him. They ran away. They abandoned him. They denied knowing that he was who he was, and they forgot what he said about his own death. And even though they claimed that they would, they would be faithful to him, even to the point of their own deaths, as soon as the guards showed up, they were gone. They, they fled as quick as my students did when youth group was about to start. This is the crux of it, though. Jesus shared this incredibly important meal with a group of people he knew would betray him. It wasn't just Judas. All of the people at this table betrayed and abandoned him. And still Jesus ate with them. Still Jesus dipped his hand in a cup, passed around bowls of bread and uh, bowls of food and baskets of bread. And it was always to this group of people that he knew would hurt him. And so when Jesus was doing all of this eating and feasting, it was, it was actually unheard of for religious leaders to be, like, in the same vicinity as 
let alone eating with sinners and people that were, were unclean. But Jesus flipped that mentality on its head, and he, he makes it clear that those are the meals he's most excited for. Those are the meals that will bring healing to people's lives. As a youth worker, we have conversations all the time about, uh, about loving one another and about uh, compassion and how do we make change in, in a very real change in a broken world. And one of the, inevitably one of the answers to literally every single small group question I've asked is, well, we can, we can hang out with, with people. We can, we can, when we see people alone eating, like, we can, go, we can go sit with them. Or if it doesn't look like they have friends, like, I'll, I'll be their friend. And, and it, it used to bug me a little bit because it feels like an easy answer. It feels cheap. Like, okay, you can say that. Like, are, are you going to do it? But then I, as I was thinking about this, this message, I... I started to realize, like, that's not an easy thing to, to say. It's harder to do, but it, it's not even easy to say. Like, it's incredible to me that, that students, like, from a relatively young age can recognize that it's, that meals are meant to be shared. Let me say that again. Meals are meant to be shared. I think we all kind of get that. We all know that. Um, and, and if you enjoy eating meals by yourself, it's totally okay. I do too. I like half the time I go in and out and I don't want people to see that I'm eating in and out so I eat it in my car. Um, but I love in and out guys. Again, food. It's great. But when you're in high school or junior high and lunchtime is an inherently social event, every day you have this inherently social period that I guarantee for most, if you're eating alone, it's a tipping point. When I've talked to, to students in the past, and, and we're just trying to trace back where, what, what has caused their depression or their anxiety or just their feelings of loneliness, most of the time it stems back to lunchtime. This is one of the few moments that they can name and say, I never have anyone to eat with. For Jesus, meals are some of the most important important and the most effective ministry moments he gets. It's at the table that he gets asked people questions and, rest- and restore their faith. It's over bread and wine that he says, you are my brother, you are my sister, you are my friend. You are more valuable than you could ever know. And not just to our Father in heaven, but to me. You are valuable. And that's exactly why he says this next little bit is occurs and is so important. This is the actual First Corinthians passage. No, it's not. What am I talking about? Um, it's still Matthew. I messed up. Uh, he says, while, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never drink again of the vine until the day when I drink it with, with you in my Father's kingdom. The reason we're looking at this passage today is because here we get to see how Jesus reshapes our understanding of reality. We get to see how Jesus turns a meal about remembering the work God did in bringing one group of people 
out of slavery to the Egyptians, how he reshapes that, that meal so that every time we eat the bread and drink the wine, we remember Jesus who offered up his own body as a living sacrifice. He offered it up as a sacrifice to bring freedom to all people. Freedom from slavery and sin. This Passover meal is also, by coincidence, uh, the, first co- the first communion. And I mentioned earlier that the first thing that the rest of the world knew about Christians was that they ate together, right? It's weirder than that. Um, and while I still think it's, it's really obvious that we pay attention, like, okay, they, they knew that Christians ate together, in the Roman Empire, when people heard about Christians eating together, like, they, sure, they ate together. What they actually heard was that Christians were eating together other people. They were eating flesh and they were drinking blood. That's what people heard in the early, in, in ancient Rome. And, and and what, they, what I think is even funnier is Christians were, already had a reputation for taking it, like being the first people to take in orphans and widows and people that the, that the Romans thought were undesirable. And so because of this, they started asking questions like, why are you taking little Timmy? Like, it can't be because his parents just died of the common cold. Like, no, you, you must be planning on eating him. Like, it's weird and, and crazy. And I don't understand it, but I'm really grateful because there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of rumors about Christians these days. I'm really grateful that that's not one of them. Um, we got over that. They got past that. Um, but Christians in the early Roman Empire, they, they would gather every week to eat, to celebrate, to, to pray. They would gather together rich and poor, male and female, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free. They would gather together to celebrate the day that the world changed. Every week, this was celebrated with the singing of hymns. They would read from the, uh, the teachings of the apostles. They prayed special prayers of thanksgiving for the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. They remembered Jesus with food and stories and laughter and tears and debates and discussions and even cleanup. Cleanup was part of the, the communion, so don't forget to help out, guys. Um, the whole process was part and parcel of communion. And it helped them to remember not just Jesus' death and resurrection, but also his friendship. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. Every time you do this, remember me. I think that this brief story shows us that God intended communion to be a powerful event and a ritual. It's supposed to be something that we repeat. It's something that we do over and over and over again. Not because it's supposed to get rote, but because we are supposed to remember Jesus at this meal. And when we participate in communion, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, grape juice is what we actually have here today, uh, God blesses us with strength and wisdom and compassion and the will to actually live a Christ-like way. Put simply, communion is one one of the ways God chooses to make us more and more like Jesus. And every time we participate in this ritual, we eat this meal, we're to remember Jesus, the work he did and the commands he gave us to namely 
be like himself. To care for the orphan, the widow, the poor, the alien, to heal the sick, to visit the, the inmates, to feed the hungry, to make disciples of all people and baptize them, to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Communion is intended to strengthen and embolden us to be people who take our faith seriously and actually live that faith out. John Wesley, the, the founder of our, of our denomination, of our, of our uh, particular faith tradition, he says it like this. Communion confirms the pardon of our sins as our bodies are strengthened by bread and wine. So are our souls. This gives us strength to perform our duty and lead us to perfection. This is, the one, this is one thing that communion does. It seeks to make us more and more like Christ through practical, the practical just remembrance of him. But even as something very practical is happening, I, I think that something mystical is happening too. In John chapter 6, uh, he says it like this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that whoever eats from it will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread and will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In both of these instances, back at the Passover dinner and here in John, Jesus is telling us to eat and drink, to gather nourishment and, and sustenance. In the same way that the physical elements, the, the physical bread and the physical wine are literally eaten and drinking, drink, drank, drank. The body and the blood of Jesus nourishes our souls. And so we need both, which is what Paul reminds the Corinthians of. And he, here's the first Corinthians passage. Here we go, guys. I got it. It says, now, I don't praise you as I give the following instruction, because when you meet together, it does more harm than good. First of all, when you meet together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So when you gather together, it isn't to eat the Lord's meal. Each of you goes ahead and eats a private meal. One person, sorry, sorry, I haven't. When you get together, it isn't to eat the Lord's meal. Each of you goes ahead and eats a private meal. One person goes hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on God's church and humiliate those who have nothing? This is why those who eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the Lord's body and blood. This isn't an issue about people eating too much bread or drinking too much wine. Paul wasn't an anti-gluten fanatic. I, Paul, the, the issue with the church in Corinth was that the wealthy were separating themselves from the poor and the slaves who had jobs. Like, they had to work, and so they couldn't even leave their jobs and, t and get to the church until they were finished. And so by the time they got there, though, the, the wealthy people, the, the people that held themselves as elite, would already be done with all the food. They wouldn't leave anything for the poor people. One of the main points of communion is that it eliminates division and brings all people of every race, gender, and socioeconomic status to the same table to participate in the same meal. 
This church was letting some of its people go hungry and thirsty while others were gorged and drunk. One of the reasons we only use grape juice today. Um, If you've ever read this passage, uh, you you might be like me, and I've gotten tripped up by this. Like, do do I not, like, am I unworthy to eat this bread and drink this wine? Am I unworthy to approach God's table? Let me tell you, no, you're not. You're not unworthy. Scripture never talks about being unworthy to, to eat the bread and drink the wine. It talks about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner so as to leave others hungry and thirsty, but not about being unworthy ourselves. So don't be afraid to come to the table today and participate in communion, to remember Jesus and allow him to make you more and more like himself. As free Methodists, uh, we believe in something called the open table, which essentially means you don't have to be a member, you don't have to uh, be baptized, you don't have to be perfect or even really a good Christian to take communion. You don't actually even have to be a Christian technically. Um, If you want to draw closer to God, if you want a deeper relationship with God, if you are seeking after Christ in, in your own fashion, come and take this meal. You don't have to be 100% convinced, but if you want a closer relationship with God, come eat some bread, drink some wine, grape juice, and ask him to be with you, to change you, to make you more like the person of Jesus. A few months ago, uh, Rihanna told me about an experience she had at at another church, um, and she said I could share it this morning. Uh, She was there preaching. She got asked to be a guest preacher at this church, and and this is a week that they, were ser- that they were serving communion. And so they also asked her to serve communion. And she, j- she was so happy when she got to share this experience with me because she saw this teenage boy walk up to her and with a smile that only a teenage boy can have when approached with food. Um, he's so delighted that he gets to come and eat this bread. He, he takes a huge chunk of bread off. Like, it's almost unseemly how much bread he takes off of this loaf. But he's so delighted because he knows it's delicious. He knows that it was baked to nourish and sustain him. And when you contrast that with so many of the other people that, that she got to serve that day, who it, it felt like took pains to tear off as small of a piece of bread as they could. It feels like so, mu- so many of us are ashamed to be hungry. It feels like so many of us are afraid to, to take too much that will run out of bread. But let me tell you this. We have plenty of bread. We have plenty right here. You can see all of it. We serve a God of plenty. And in this meal, we remember Jesus who fed 5,000 men and their families. That means teenage boys with five loaves of bread and two fish. We serve a God of plenty. Just don't separate yourselves from the poor, from those who don't have anything. Till we find you.